You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Driven website and also Renew Economy. Look, today we've got a slightly different subject and um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's about solar cars and solar taxis and all the exciting developments. Um, Looking looking beyond that next Model uh, 3 of the Tesla or the Nissan Leaf and what might be coming next and what needs to happen to make electric vehicles and then solar vehicles as efficient as uh, they can be because... Even though we think now electric vehicles are really things that we sort of connect to the grid, which might be powered by coal, gas, wind or solar, the future will probably be a solar car. So um, I've got two fantastic guests uh, joining us today to tell us about their experience and what they've been working on. Andrew Dixon from CWP Renewables and Team Trev, that he'll, which I'll explain later. And also Peter Pudney from the University of South Australia. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles. Andrew, let's start with you, just to sort of give a bit of context. Uh, you work with CWP Renewables, and that's, um, well, it's been mostly a wind uh, a, a wind, um, wind project developer, although it's now moving into solar projects and um, some mega projects. And we've talked to you before about the, uh, the Pilbara project in Western Australia uh, on the Energy Insiders podcast. But you've mostly been working with the wind industry. How did you get involved in electric vehicles or more specifically solar vehicles? Yeah, uh, thanks, Giles. Um, Yeah, a number of years ago, about six or seven years ago, I was involved in the Alternative Technology Association. And I found out about uh, a fellow who was driving around the world in a solar-powered electric car called the Solar Taxi, called Lewis Palmer from Switzerland. And I put my hand up for him to stay uh, with me in Adelaide, uh, which he and his team did for about a week. And I got really excited about the uh, potential for solar energy to, you know, to power uh, vehicles and also for the potential for solar farms. So that was actually a really big turning point for me to consider the viable potential of solar energy in general. Peter, let's turn to you and find out what brought you into this, um, this arena of, um, of uh, electric vehicles and more specifically solar vehicles. And um, it'd be good at this point to give a bit of background of what, about what exactly it is that you do at the University of South Australia. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Uh, so I'm an Associate Research Professor of Industrial and Applied Mathematics, of all things, um, but I've been working for many years with um, engineers and others on building and designing and racing solar cars. Um, So I first got introduced to solar cars in 1993 when uh, a Melbourne-based team called Aurora approached me uh, and asked if I could help them manage their battery in the World Solar Challenge from Darwin to Adelaide. Uh, So three months later, I found myself up in Darwin, standing behind a solar panel in the hot afternoon sun in Darwin, uh, soldering diodes to the back of a solar cell. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Sounds like hot work. <laughs> yeah, so I've been involved in, uh, in solar racing ever since uh, with the Aurora team and more recently um, with, uh, I'm the chair of the technical committee for the World Solar Challenge. 
Now, guys, um, so we've, we've, we've known about, we've, well, hopefully many people have read about the, uh, the Solar cha Challenge, and this was mostly, mostly we sort of saw them as very sleek vehicles, the minimum weight possible, lots of solar panels on the cars, and sort of going down from Darwin to Adelaide. Um, with the smallest person in the team, I presume, just sort of, sort of squeezed into it to, to add as least weight as possible. But that's one thing to do that. It's another thing to provide a family car for the next stage of involvement. And I guess that's where Trev came in. Now, I, my understanding is Trev is a two-seater renewable energy vehicle. And I think this was the next stage in development of the World Solar Ch Challenge. Who'd like to take up the story there? Yeah, so I'll have a go at that. The, um, we'd raced uh, solar cars for many years at the University of South Australia and uh, with Aurora Vehicles. And after crossing Australia many times using only solar power for fuel, uh, I would then jump in my petrol-powered car to drive 30 kilometres to work and back. Uh, and we figured that if, if we could drive 3,000 kilometres uh, without using petrol, we should be able to get to work and back without using petrol. <laughs> yes. So I uh, engaged an industrial designer and uh, a couple of classes of industrial design students and uh, with a colleague at UniSA, uh, gave them the task of designing a two-seater car for driving around a city that didn't use petrol. Uh, it didn't directly use solar, it was an electric car, but the idea is if you've got solar panels, if you put them on the roof of your house, you'll get better use out of them than if you put them on the roof of a car. So then this actually did, made, made this journey then from, um, from Darwin to Adelaide? Yeah, so we, we first built the car in 2005. Um, we had intended to drive it from Darwin to Adelaide in 2005, but we, uh, we had some motor problems. But in 2007, for the next World Solar Challenge, we drove in the... Uh, the Greenfleet demonstration class, uh, and so we drove from Darwin to Adelaide, uh, 3,000 kilometres. I think it took us six days, so uh, we were doing about 500 kilometres a day. We would drive for an hour, pull over, um, and then charge the car up for an hour, and then on our way again. Hmm. Fantastic. And Andrew, you took this experience and looked at what they achieved there and decided if they can get from Darwin to Adelaide, then they can possibly go around the world. Well, exactly. I was really intrigued by the look and the possibility of Trev, and I sort of I crossed paths with Peter, and really, you know, came to Peter and said, "Look, if you can drive from Darwin to Adelaide in this in this amazing car, let's get together and and do a campaign to race around the world." So Lewis Palmer, who I mentioned before, who'd driven around the world, um, he created a, a challenge called uh, Zero Race or Zero Emissions Race. And he challenged teams from around the world to enter electric vehicles to, to, to drive around the world, effectively. So Peter and I, at that point, um, formed Team Trev, to, to borrow Trev from UniSA, to go and seek sponsorship, uh, and then to upgrade the vehicle and then campaign it in the race around the world, which is what we did. And how did that go? Well, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a full-on experience. Um, yeah, so I, I, while I was busy with uh, with fundraising and sort of administ administrative details, Peter was diving deep into the technical upgrades. So Peter, maybe just just sort of list the sort of things that were done to prepare the car to race around the world. Yeah. So um, I guess the thing to remember is that this was a car that was designed to do city traffic and just drive to work and back. Um, I, I thought that driving from Darwin to Adelaide was pretty stupid, but. Uh, 
Andrew <laughs> topped that with this idea of driving around the world. Um, what we had to do though was uh, do a few upgrades to the suspension. Uh, we needed to fit a bigger battery, so it, it had a, um, a 40 kilogram battery that would get at about 100 kilometres. We updated that to a, an 80 kilogram battery that would get us about 200 to 250 kilometres on a charge. Um, we had to beef up the suspension. Um, we had to you know, really tidy up the car and make it a bit more robust. And we had to get it registered in Australia so that we could then get permits to drive on public roads all the way around. How difficult was that? Uh, it was surprisingly not too difficult. We uh, we had a, a friend at the uh, at the motor registration. Ah, that's very helpful. He, well, he wasn't a friend in, until he came out and saw what we were trying to do, and uh, <laughs> he was very sympathetic to uh, this idea of um, a, a, a low energy vehicle. It wasn't your normal sort of potted up uh, V eight car, um, and so he was quite sympathetic and helped us through the process of getting the car registered. It was a bit difficult though. We uh, it took it took a, a while to get an appointment, and in fact, we actually got the car registered two days before we shipped it off to. to New but looking looking back on it, it was, I'm amazed at what we achieved. Actually, uh, it was in 2010-11, so I mean, it was a it was a full on 12 months to prepare the vehicle. This is all just with you know with vol volunteer enthusiasts really, uh, but then we air freighted the vehicle to Geneva to the UN headquarters, uh, and we we drove from Geneva sort of through Western Europe up to Moscow, across Russia, Kazakhstan and China to Shanghai, then shipped across to Vancouver, drove down the west coast of the US, and then sort of diagonally across to Cancun, uh, where we attended the UN climate change events in Cancun a number of years ago, uh, and then uh, across back, back to Europe, and then ultimately ended up in Geneva. So we drove 28,000 kilometers in 80 days of driving for about $400 of electricity. So yeah, it was a pretty amazing achievement in retrospect. That's extraordinary. In fact, I was actually, actually at the Cancun um, Climate Conference, and I've just got a funny feeling I might have actually come across you there. <laughs> there you go, small world. <laughs> Pete, Peter was there too. Yeah, I think I was there, and I remember meeting you at, uh, at Cancun. And in fact, I was uh, driving delegates from their hotel to the conference in the back of Trev. In the, oh, really? Well, I missed out on the, on the ride in Trev. I was in, a, I was on the back of a bus with, um, with a machine gun escort, just in case there was any... <laughs> Any um, any mis misfortunate things? So look, out of all of that, um, that's an extraordinary four hundred dollars to go around the world of, of of electricity. Out of that, you guys got a call from Africa. Tell us what happened next. Yeah, so uh, I, I just got a phone call one day from a uh, a woman in uh, in Zimbabwe who was a health worker, and she said to me, "I you know I see you can build these strange vehicles." Um, could you build a car that we could use to transport women, uh, pregnant women, to hospital so that they can give birth in relative safety? And my first reaction was, well, you know, what, what you need is a jeep or something like that. Um, unfortunately, they uh, they didn't really have access to fuel, um, and so my second suggestion was, well, maybe you can get a, a an electric golf buggy or golf cart or something like that and use that. Um, that was no go either because uh, the, the hospital really didn't have good access to electricity. They could sometimes uh, get electricity at night when neighboring countries weren't using it, but it was a, 
pretty unreliable supply. So it turns out that she had the best idea that they really needed a solar powered vehicle that could um, you know, carry a woman and a birthing partner to the hospital. Andrew, and uh, you visited Zimbabwe to work out exactly um, what they needed and to organise the specifications. Exactly. So I guess we wanted to understand that the need was you know, real. Uh, we needed to understand that the partners were credible. And also we needed to understand the conditions that we could potentially d design a vehicle to, you know, to, to operate in. So I spent a week and a half um, uh, in northern Zimbabwe from the, the sort of the central district hospital and then went out to all the outlying health clinics and drove all around the place. And yeah, I mean, it, it was obvious that uh, maternal mortality is a very, very significant issue in, in Zimbabwe. Um, and the root cause of it really is transport poverty. So as Peter said, people can't afford really or can't access reliable power supplies or petrol. Uh, and often there are no public, there's no public transport available. Uh, often the, be the best solution is to, is to catch an ox cart. So literally a cart towed by an oxen. Um, and that's quite a dangerous uh, option. So yeah, we we came back and said, look, this is we we need to do something about this. So um, we started the design proce process for a a rugged off-road electric vehicle that we now call the African Solar Taxi. That's fantastic. And so, what's the next stage then? Um, have you um, have you developed it? Have you de have you delivered it? Yeah. So the the. Uh we, we took a while doing the design um, and uh, we've, we've built the car. It's not quite finished. It's, uh, it's been a bit slow, slower than we would like, but uh, we've got a, a group of volunteers working on the car in their spare time. So all of the bodywork is done, all the mechanicals. Uh, we're just doing the final wiring now. And then the idea will be to test it in Australia and then ship it across to Zimbabwe. That's fantastic. So um, you're going to have the first vehicle. Um, how many do, vehicles do you imagine actually building and delivering? So I guess um, as with Trev, uh, we're not planning to produce vehicles ourselves commercially. Uh, really what we're about, about is proving the concept. So Trev obviously proved the concept of a low mass urban electric commuting vehicle. And the African Solar Taxi is proving that low mass electric vehicles can be rugged and off-road. Uh, in Africa and can um, operate entirely off-grid. So the, the key issue here is low mass. Uh, many electric vehicles are high mass, they're heavy, and that takes a lot of energy to power them. And that means that if you want to power them from you know, solar panels and batteries, you need a lot of solar panels and batteries. Uh, panels and batteries, so that's expensive. So we've, we've gone completely the other, other direction, having simple low mass rugged vehicles um, and basically we're proving the concept. We'll send our, our prototype vehicle to Zimbabwe, hopefully next year. Uh, we'll run a trial and see whether our vision and our concept works in practice. So tell me more, more about what this um, vehicle looks like and how it works then. Yeah, so it looks a bit like a slightly oversized um, quad bike. It, it's got... Peter, I'm just going to ask you to just get the mic just a bit closer to the microphone. Yeah. Okay, so it, it, it's a bit of an oversized quad bike. It's got uh, two seats in the back uh, for the woman and uh, she'll always take a, sort of a sister or an auntie or grandma with her to, uh, to the hospital. Uh, it's got a, a single seat in the front for the, uh, for the driver. It's got um, standard sort of motorcycle type handlebars. Um, so it looks like a, a quad bike, but it's got the, uh, the seating layout of a, of a McLaren F1. What, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a three-seater with uh, 
the driver perched in the middle at the front and the, the two passengers. Oh, fair on. enough. And so all the charging and the um, and, and the gathering of the solar happens elsewhere with the solar panels and the battery, um, as, uh, as you'd otherwise expect. Right. So, yeah, putting putting solar panels on the car is not as useful as putting them, uh, in this case, on the roof of the hospital or at some of the health clinics. Um, and so the idea is that the car will be able to complete the distance um, of around about 70 kilometer round trip with maybe one stop for a charge uh, intermediate um, without the solar panels on the roof. But there was uh, solar panels uh, scattered around the district that we can use to provide power for the district, but also to charge up the taxi when it comes past. It's still an extraordinary thing, isn't it, Andrew, that um, that you can actually do this and that this is the most, um, well, I presume it is the most effective um, way of addressing a, um, a diabolical problem that um, probably shouldn't exist in the in the modern world. Absolutely. So again, uh, you know, the, the existing solutions aren't working. You know, ox carts or people just taking their chances and birthing at home without help. Um, motorbikes aren't often a a solution for a pregnant woman um, you know just nothing that we could think of could do it as well as what we've designed so yeah we we're excited we think that this could in theory work but you know the proofs in the pudding we need to finish the vehicle and get it to Zimbabwe uh, run a proper trial um, part of the innovation is the vehicle but the other part is the solar charging infrastructure so we haven't done that yet uh, but we're not far off starting but the good thing is that as time goes on, the, te the technology for PV, for batteries, for controllers is improving very, very quickly. So, yeah, this, this, this need for better transport in sub-Saharan Africa is really widespread. I've had lots of people come to me, you know, people from refugee camps in Zambia, from, um, you know, other um, uh, health systems in other parts of Africa. We think that there's a really big need for off-grid uh, you know, zero emission transport. Uh, and the thing that motivates me most is that this will literally use renewable energy to save lives. So it's a re really unique project. It's fantastic. Who will run with this idea though? Because if you get this over there and you prove the concept, who will run with it and make sure that these things um, do occur in refugee camps or wherever? Will it be NGOs who have the money to actually provide the upfront costs? For these sort of projects, will it be philanthropic organisations? Will it be in government investment because a cheaper way to deliver the infrastructure that they can't deliver otherwise? It's a good question. Uh, we don't know yet. Um, I guess we're just trying to spark the imaginations of others. Um, you know, we're not trying to hold back innovation here. We'd be more than happy if, you know, for example, a Chinese manufacturer um, mass produces vehicles of this nature because they will address a problem that's not currently fixed by others. So I'm aware of another project that's going to be sending existing sort of rural utility three-wheelers, different to ours, but kind of similar concept, uh, to Zimbabwe. Uh, and they're mass-produced in China and being imported into Zimbabwe. So, yeah, again, we're just trying to seed, you know, this idea of, of something that doesn't exist currently. And that can have all sorts of benefits, including, you know, direct um, benefits to public health. So Peter, you talked about before, um, you talked about the importance of low mass and it's true to say that most of the electric vehicles that we're seeing bringing to the mainstream market are extremely heavy, mainly because the focus seems to be on safety and the focus seems to be on range. So you just pile as many batteries in as you can. 
Um, tell us a bit more about the importance of low mass and how this can actually be applied, not just in off-grid areas, but also just in the mainstream market for electric vehicles and possibly the shift to solar vehicles in the future. Yeah, so the, uh, the importance is because of the limited amount of energy that we have got available. Uh, we, we're generating energy from sunlight. Um, there's not a lot of energy spare to, to use. And every kilogram of vehicle, or every 80 kilograms of vehicle, is one person that you cannot transport. So if we can transport people in vehicles that weigh not much more than the, the cargo that they're carrying, then then that's a, a really useful thing to be able to do. So we've aimed to keep the vehicle mass as low as possible by using lightweight materials. Uh, we're using polypropylene honeycomb boards, um, which are pretty cheap and reliable, um, easy to work with, with fiberglass. So we're not using really exotic materials like carbon fiber that are just too expensive. But um, we, we checked before we uh, embarked on the project that uh, the people in Zimbabwe would have the facilities and the abilities to work with um, the materials that we're working with. So it's easier for them to fix something with fiberglass than it is to uh, do aluminium welding, for example. Mm. And do you so, see the application yeah, for um, for, um, for for low weight vehicles and, and, and the importance of that actually sort of translating into the mainstream market? Look, I think there is, you know, it, it, the, the same thing. Uh, applies to all vehicles that the energy that you spend has to move both the vehicle and the people and in a traditional car you know you might have one person 80 kilograms being transported in 2,000 kilograms of machinery or more so uh, most of the energy that you're spending is just transporting the vehicle around and, and not the people so if you can uh, reduce the mass of the vehicle then more of the energy is doing useful work. I wonder if that'll be a feature of this um this, this modern this future that we hear of of um, autonomous vehicles and shared vehicles um because that 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 will be the key then won't it it will actually be that the, the focus will be on moving people rather than lumps of metal yeah so autonomous vehicles are a good way of uh not having to everyone having to own their own car and so shared vehicles means that you need perhaps less vehicles to transport the same number of people around but there still tend to be very heavy vehicles. I think we need to see more of a focus on using lightweight materials and appropriate materials for, for the job. So you don't need a, a giant four-wheel drive car to drive to work and back. Indeed. Going back to having solar panels or solar cells on vehicles, what is the future there? We've just had a couple of the bigger car makers sort of talk about putting a bit of, bit of solar on the roof of the car or on the bonnet or whatever. I'm not really too sure whether this is sort of um, a little bit for show. Um, how far down the track can we actually go where the vehicle is actually largely powered by the solar that's actually in cap in captured in its own body? Yeah, so I, I've just come back from Chile where uh, we had a solar-powered race across the Atacama Desert. And the car that won that was a, uh, a sort of a conventional single-seater solar car that the, the driver can barely fit into the car, not very comfortable at all. But uh, in the World Solar Challenge a few years ago, we also introduced the idea of the cruiser class, which is for vehicles that are designed for 
carrying two or more people. Uh, and in that event, we've seen teams develop cars that are capable of carrying three or four people across Australia at highway speeds uh, in six days. Uh, if you tried to do the same thing in a conventional electric car, charging just from solar, you'd need 60 days. So the amount of energy it takes for a, a well-designed solar car with a fairly large solar panel on it, five square metres of cells, is much less than for a conventional car. That's extraordinary. What, what, what do you see the future potential for, for solar-powered cars? I think they're, at the moment there's still um, a bit of a curiosity. When, when we built Trev, I thought that you know, we would never see cars that were purely solar-powered on the road. Um, I'm beginning to change my mind, having seen some of the teams that are building some really nice um, cruiser cars that are able to you know, look good, um, function with uh, you know, normal city driving uh, and are solar powered. Um, and it, it solves the problem of having to drive long distances without any uh, intermediate charging stations. Um, but in a city, I think you need to think carefully about whether you want to dedicate your solar energy to just your car or to have it serving both your car and your house and so on. So it's going to be horses for courses then, Andrew? Indeed. And obviously, with I mean, sending vehicles to sub-Saharan Africa and very you know, challenged economies, they need to be cheap as well as, as simple. So, I mean, autonomous vehicles and, you know, solar powered, you know, vehicles with solar panels and charging systems on board, it starts getting expensive. So, again, we've, we've pared it down to the minimum mass and, and the maximum simplicity, um, having, you know, centralised solar charging stations and a whole bunch of very low mass, simple electric vehicles that can transport people around, which obviously is the main issue in this case. So, again, you know, we, we use a fairly low tech um, uh, lithium-ion phosphate battery, um, you know, non-composite materials, and hub motors in both rear wheels, um, hub motors from electric bikes, you know, which are ridiculously cheap. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting project to, to avoid unnecessary complexity, which sort of as engineers and techies we're inclined to pursue, but instead to think about the destination where we're sending it to make it as cheap and as simple as possible. That's fantastic. And look, do you have a little, um, a, a basic design of this, um, of this that we can share with our listeners? Sure. Uh, and of course, people can go to our website, so um, africansolartaxi.com, or to the Team Trev website, which is teamtrev.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll suggest they go there. Peter, any final words? Well, I think it's uh, it's it's been a really interesting project and a great application for uh, what what started out as a, you know solar racing and. A, sort of a technological uh, curiosity, um, but there really is some uh, really nice applications for these uh, sorts of vehicles around the world. I guess in a way it's a bit like um, I'm sort of thinking um, about the solar impulse plane which flew around the world and took um, look, probably took about a year and a half to do it after stops and starts um, using a, only its old, own solar panel and the solar cells and the wings. It was quite an extraordinary, extraordinary piece of equipment. Um, we're not going to be fly, flying around in solar t planes anytime soon but it certainly sort of triggered the development of electric planes so people are starting to think what they've learned from that and all of a sudden the idea that you might have an electric plane, a commercial one with 10, 20 passengers within 10 years 
is um, is almost a reality. Well, not not a reality, but it it, it seems to be um, p- people are entertaining seriously that thought. So um, Andrew, it just goes to show that um, these technology developments are going to happen quicker than we ever imagined. And 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 then there's the issue of hydrogen, which is a whole other conversation. So yeah, up in the Pilbara project, we're obviously moving into the potential for large-scale green hydrogen production. Um, and that is ideally suited to all sorts of transport applications, including vehicles, including planes, ships, trains, earth-moving machinery, all sorts of things. So yeah, it's a fascinating time to be in renewables. There's all sorts of innovation happening, and it's just it's it's going to solve lots of existing problems and present all sorts of new opportunities. So it's great. I'm I'm loving being involved with it. Yeah, good for you. Well, guys, thank you both very much for um, being with us today. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation, and um, look, congratulations, and um, and good luck with the project going forward. Thanks, Giles. Thanks, Giles. And that was Peter Pudney from the University of South Australia and Andrew Dixon from CWP Renewables. I'd just like to take this point to thank our sponsor, Zero Mo. Uh, Zero Mo is an organisation that is encouraging the use of electric vehicles, particularly in um, in gardening equipment and uh, ride-on mowers. Um, they don't actually sell the stuff, but they will give you information about it and maybe even give you a test ride. And the feedback from those who ha- have had test rides on, um, on this equipment is that it is fantastic. So look, thanks for them for sponsoring this show. Thanks once again to Peter and Andrew for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. And we'll be back again next week. We're um, hoping to go up to the Australian Vehicle um, Electric Vehicle Association Conference in uh, Brisbane on Friday and Saturday, so we hope we can come back with lots more stories. So that's it for now. Bye-bye. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Zero Mo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.